Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good? Service has been good so far? I'll try not to ruin it. Um, I am Brooke. I'm on staff here. Like Jenny said, I usually am doing stuff like that, um, graphics and such, but thank you, Gary. See, now we get to swap roles. He gets to bring out my table. Um, Yeah, so I'm usually doing graphics, but I love the Bible. I love teaching, so I'm super excited to bring you the word this morning. And we're going to jump right... Oh, thank you. Um, We're going to jump right in because I'm going to cover a lot of ground. And um, yeah, for the last three weeks, we started on Easter. Gary, we've kind of been zoomed in on one particular passage. And this morning, we're going to kind of zoom out, get a bigger picture of the Bible and how it actually connects back to the last three weeks in that Resurrection Sunday we've been talking about. So before we jump in, let's pray because we need it. God, we are so thankful for your word, for the truth that um, you've given to us. We believe that this text is completely inspired by you, even though it's written by humans, that it is inerrant. Um, And so we believe it's true. And um, we just ask that your spirit would speak to us this morning, that it wouldn't be my words, it wouldn't be um, the songs, words, or anything else, but that it would be you, um, that we hear your spirit moving in us. And um, yes, we just pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right. So we are going to be talking about the wilderness in Exodus, and we're going to start right at the beginning, the first five books of the Bible. Um, If you don't know, it's called the Pentateuch, which really doesn't make a difference if you know that name or not, just means the first five books of the Bible. Um, But Moses is the guy that wrote these first five books. He's kind of a big name Old Testament character. And so he starts in Genesis from creation and moves all the way up to, and he kind of hones in on this guy, Joseph. And it's really just to set up where the Israelites are currently at, because the beginning of the book of Exodus, the second book of the Bible, the Israelites are slaves in Egypt. And so you can read through their entire story, the first five books. We're not going to read all five of those books this morning because we don't have time, and you're probably relieved about that. But um, so the Israelites, where we pick it up in Exodus is that they are slaves in Egypt, and they are crying out to God. And so God hears them, and he's not going to let them just continue being slaves. And so he prepares Moses, this guy, to go and rescue them out of Egypt, free them from their slavery. And so that's what Moses goes to do. He, on assignment from God, goes to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and asks him to release the people so that they could go into the desert to worship God. I mean, he didn't really take a poll. I would have voted to go to the beach, maybe, or I don't know, maybe a group wants to go to the mountains, but it wasn't like a choose-your-own-adventure. I guess we're just all going to the wilderness, into the desert. So that was the plan. Um, But he, of course, goes into talk with Pharaoh and says, hey, God wants you to let all of his people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, because they're his entire slave workforce. Um, and so Moses is like, well, if you don't, this is what's going to happen. And there's these plagues that get sent in judgment on Egypt and on the land. I mean, like locusts come and frogs, and it's not just like five. It's like covering the earth. It's super gross. He turns the whole Nile River into blood, um, continuing time after time. He says, Moses asks Pharaoh, let these people go, or this is going to happen. And Pharaoh continues to refuse And so finally, 
Um, God tells Moses to let Pharaoh know, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill all of the firstborns in this land, the firstborn sons and even the livestock and all of that. And so, um, you know, he kicks it up a notch. It's um, pretty severe. And so he warns the Israelites, though, as they're in the land, he says, to protect you guys from this death, what you need to do is take a lamb and slaughter it and smear that blood over the doorpost of your house and then stay inside, stay under that covering. And when the angel comes through, you'll be spared. You will be passed over um, and you will not, um, your firstborns won't die. And so that's what they do. They slaughter a lamb. They smear that blood over the doorpost and night comes and the next morning to what I can only imagine is a horrifying loss in that area as people wake up and realize what has happened and that God um, fulfilled what he said he was going to do. And Pharaoh's son dies, and in that anger and rage and grief, I'm sure he tells Moses, take your people, get out of here, um, go. And so Moses like runs back to the Israelites. He's like, all right, he let us go. Let's hurry because he's going to change his mind. He's really angry. Um, so they retreat super quick. Um, they're taken off and right on cue, Pharaoh changes his mind. He's like, I just lost all of my slave labor. And so they take the Egyptian army and follow after them and, um, pursue them. And they end up at the Red Sea. And this is what, in that song we just sang and what it's talking about, they get to the Red Sea and the Israelites are kind of trapped there. They have a sea in front of them. They have this army coming behind them. And they're like, okay, God, what do we do? And God tells Moses, put your staff in the ground. Like, what's in your hand? What have I given you? Put that in the ground. Stretch your arm out over the sea. And so Moses is like, okay. So he does it. And this wind comes in and separates the water and walls up the sea on two sides and creates dry ground for them to pass through. Not even like muddy ground, you know, ground that's been under a, tons of water, like in a sea, it's dry ground. Like I can barely at an aquarium go under that like tunnel thing, you know, where like fish are swimming above you and you're protected by, I'm hoping, really thick glass or plastic or whatever they use. But I can't even imagine like, okay, we're just going to walk, you know, next to this wall of water where there's like huge whales and I don't know what swimming next to me and wind is holding it back, right? I'm like, okay, so they trusted God. They went through, they got to the other side, uh, they were safe. So the Egyptian army is like, all right, we're following suit. So they follow into the sea behind them and... Um, the wind dies down and the water closes up and it just takes out the whole army that was pursuing the Israelites. And despite what some of the like movies have shown you, I've seen the super old 10 commandments movie or the Prince of Egypt, the cartoon one, they do, you know, they try to portray it's like a few thousand people exiting um, Egypt. No, it was probably close to 2 million people. That's like San Jose and San Francisco combined fleeing an area. I mean, it's closer to pictures of the refugee situations we've been seeing. Although they were heading towards a land that God promised them and not away from their home. Although they had been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years, so that was really all they knew is home. Um, but they were fleeing and 
You can read that whole account in Exodus like 12 through 14, but that is um, where we find that. And since we don't have time to read all of Exodus, um, we're just going to read a couple verses that kind of give us a snapshot of the book and how it's laid out in these two parts. And so in Exodus 6, this is before the Passover, before um, they flee, God tells Moses to say to the Israelites, he says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched charm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. And so we kind of see these two parts in Exodus. The first part, he's going to free them from their slavery, deliver them from out of under the oppression of Egypt, and then he's going to take them to be his own people. And so it's kind of, here's your freedom, and now here's how to live in that freedom, how to be the people of God. And so they're camped at Mount Sinai, and that's where they receive the Ten Commandments, and that's kind of where they establish their relationship with God, um, really where kind of the Jewish uh, religion is established. And so that's Exodus. Leviticus goes into more of the laws, and that's really just set up because this perfect God wants to have relationship with sinful people, and so there needs to be some rules and regulations set up around that um, so that we don't die. And so... And then we get into Numbers, and Numbers, in that book, you really get the real account of how the Israelites feel about wandering around in a desert for 40 years. And they start complaining, and they think Egypt was better, and they don't know what's happening. And so they kind of, in Numbers, you see them move from Mount Sinai towards Canaan, which is the Promised Land, and they kind of set up all these little camps along the way and just, you know, keep complaining. So then in and Deuteronomy continues in that, and it kind of just... Uh, is the transition of leadership from Moses to Joshua before they enter the promised land. So that's the framework for this morning. Those five books, they all kind of encompass the story of the Israelites and them wandering in the desert and their exodus from uh, Egypt. And so we're going to fast forward back to Jesus, back to where we have been sitting for the last three weeks. Um, You know, we started on Easter. We were talking about the resurrection and the Friday before we call Good Friday, the the day that Jesus was crucified on the cross. But in Israel, during that time when Jesus, when those events were taking place that weekend, the Israelites weren't like preparing for his death and resurrection. They didn't know that was going to be taking place that weekend. What they were preparing for was the Passover. Because when they got released out of Egypt, God told the Israelites, remember this day, have a festival, have a feast every year remembering the Passover, remembering that I saved you out of Egypt. And so that's what they were preparing for. And so Friday, you know, we celebrate now Jesus's death on the cross. And that is because he became that sacrificial lamb, that lamb that was slaughtered so that the blood went over the doorposts. So the people were passed over and didn't die. That is who Jesus became. He We get to claim his blood over us, over our lives, and we, on that Saturday, that weekend, get passed over. And we no longer have to experience the death that we deserve because Jesus died in our place. He became that Passover lamb. 
Guys, this is so good. You can say amen anytime you feel like it. I'm serious. This is like, man. And so, but the coolest part is the day after the Passover, at least in Egypt, is the Exodus. And so we're going to look, and this is so good. This is what I was trying to not tell people all week as I was preparing because it's so awesome. This is in Luke. This is way before that weekend arrived. Jesus often went up to mountainsides to pray. And so this is one of those accounts that says in Luke 9 that Jesus took Peter, John, and James, three of his disciples, with him and went up onto a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. And two men, Moses, come on, I mean, God's so good, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. And what were they talking about? They were talking about his departure. And that might not sound cool, but departure, actually in Greek, and I'll read it to you in this translation, is they talked over his exodus, the one he was about to complete in Jerusalem. See, Moses, who Jesus got to just like hang out on the mountainside and talk to about his first exodus. I mean, this is huge. This is like all Israel, all the Jewish people would know this story. This is like their big hero, Moses, led them out of slavery, led them into freedom. And Jesus was now not only going to be our sacrificial lamb, He not only died the death that we deserved, but he was going to be risen and lead a second, bigger and better exodus. Because it wasn't just an exodus for this one group of people, the Israelites. It was going to be an exodus for everyone who would claim him as Lord. And this is Jesus's death, more so his resurrection, freed us out of our slavery the slavery we are in is a slavery to sin. And Romans 6 talks about this. It says, we who are in Christ are no longer slaves to sin. We are free from its bondage. And this is so good. I wish we could just stop right here and be like, we're free, like celebrate, sing about it, which we did sing about it already, but just sit in this and be super excited. And it's so good. And we need to do that. And we need to remind ourselves of this truth. But there's kind of another side to freedom. Even Kyle mentioned it, talking about um, uh, Northern Ireland, and we can think about it in our own history in the United States with our um, slavery. When we are physically freed from something, we're not yet mentally freed from it. You know, when we change position, if we abolish the slave trade in America, it doesn't mean, boom, all of a sudden, everybody is cool with one another, right? Because our thinking hasn't yet changed. We think in certain ways. We've known a certain lifestyle. These Israelites knew slavery in Egypt. They didn't know freedom. They didn't know how to act like free people, people that belong to God. And Romans 6 talks about the power of sin, and in Romans 7, Paul continues, and he's like, I'm free from this power, but I am still sinning. Like, what is going on? And he's super frustrated. I remember when I read this text for the first time, I was like, somebody else gets it. I'm like, 
Why do I keep doing all these things I don't want to do? And I'm not doing all these things I do want to do. And I'm confused. I don't get it. I'm supposed to be saved, right? But I'm still sinning. And it's because the absolute truth is that we are free from the power of sin. It no longer has authority over us, but we are still in the presence of sin. We're still on this side of eternity. And so sin is still present around us. And when our mentality hasn't changed and we still think that sin has power over us, we give that authority back to sin because we're saying, yeah, this is how I know how to be. Um, And so this is what the exodus is about. This is what the wilderness is about. It's that we have been set free, but we are still being freed. We have been saved, but we are in the process of being saved. And Paul mentions this again in more of his texts in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. He talks about, um, he references to those of us who are being saved. And in 2 Corinthians, he says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom but we are being transformed. We are being set free still. The Israelites too, they were freed from Egypt, but they still thought like people who were slaves in Egypt. They were free from the power of sin, but they were giving sin back its power by acting like they were slaves. And so again, this is what's happening in the wilderness. It's a process of changing our mind, of renewing our mind. And this is not to question salvation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, This is not a works-based salvation. It's not you have to do all this stuff to be saved. It's we, out of our position of already being saved, Jesus, the Passover lamb, already saved us, already took the wrath that we deserved And so out of that position, we can learn how to be the people of God. We have to let the ways of Egypt go. We have to let this former way of living go. And it's in Romans 12 too, it says that we need to stop conforming to the patterns of this world. Stop conforming to this world who is under the power of sin. And we need to be transformed. We need to be continuing to be set free, to be saved by the renewing of our minds. And science is so cool because it's catching up to what the Bible has told us, renewing our minds. Um, Just throw in some little neuroscience for you. Um, Spice things up a bit, you know. Um, In recent, like the last decade, there is new study for neuroscience that talks about our brain and how it can actually be renewed. And it's called neuroplasticity. And because it's science, and I'm not a scientist, um, we're going to watch a little video to show you what I'm talking about to get a better idea. So let's check this out. Not so long ago, many scientists believed that the brain did not change after childhood, that it was hardwired and fixed by the time we became adults. But recent advances in only the last decade now tell us that this is simply not true. The brain can and does change throughout our lives. It is adaptable, like plastic. Hence neuroscientists call this neuroplasticity. How does neuroplasticity work? If you think of your brain as a dynamic, connected power grid, 
There are billions of pathways or roads lighting up every time you think, feel or do something. Some of these roads are well-traveled. These are our habits, our established ways of thinking, feeling and doing. Every time we think in a certain way, practice a particular task or feel a specific emotion, we strengthen this road. It becomes easier for our brains to travel this pathway. Say we think about something differently, learn a new task or choose a different emotion. We start carving out a new road. If we keep traveling that road, our brains begin to use this pathway more and this new way of thinking, feeling or doing becomes second nature. The old pathway gets used less and less and weakens. This process of rewiring your brain by forming new connections and weakening old ones is neuroplasticity in action. The good news is that we all have the ability to learn and change by rewiring our brains. If you have ever changed a bad habit or thought about something differently, you have carved a new pathway in your brain and experienced neuroplasticity firsthand. With repeated and directed attention towards your desired change, you can rewire your brain. Isn't that so cool? I love their graphics. We can literally change our physical being by the new thoughts that we're thinking. We can rewire how we've thought these old patterns, these old routes that we've taken. We can start to do new ones and think in new ways. And that's the process of the wilderness. It's renewing our minds. It's being set free, being saved. But this is also where we can kind of get stuck. Because when we think that we are going to be set free, when the Israelites were told, I'm going to rescue you out of Egypt and bring you to this promised land, they end up in the middle on the way in this wilderness, in this desert. And they're like, what is this? What, do you, what is all this rocks and sand? I didn't ask to come here. I voted on the beach. And, you know, I just don't understand what's happening. Like, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know how I got here, why I'm here. Where is God in all of this? You know, you said you had a promised land for us that was flowing with milk and honey, and I'm in a desert. Like, you said that I would have life and life abundantly, but my life kind of got harder, I feel like, when I started following Jesus. You said that, you know, that we could, you have good plans for me, and, but I don't even know where I'm going or what's happening. You said that I could have a peace that transcends understanding, and I, but I am still anxious all the time, and we get frustrated, and we get confused, and we give up. And we give up so quickly. Like if the Israelites started complaining soon, we're like to the billionth degree. I mean, we cannot wait. If we don't have immediate satisfaction, we're like done. We're like, okay, next thing, right? We can't even wait for things to download anymore. We have to stream them. And if they're not streaming right away, we need faster internet service. Like, come on, we're in the Silicon Valley. Like things better stream right away, right? Our society, we cannot handle this, and we give up. I remember um, we had some family friends over one time, and they had little kids, and so we were going to set them up to watch a movie. And we have this thing at my house still called a VCR. I don't know if you've heard about it. Um, 
it plays VHS tapes. Sometimes we refer to it as a VHS player because we can't even remember the name VCR. Um, if you are in here and you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm looking at you guys, high schoolers back there. It's like a um, non-digital version of a movie. It's like a tape. It's a big box, and it has like tape that goes through, and you put it in this player, and it plays a movie, S similarly to clicking on a picture on iTunes. Um, so we have a VCR, right? And so the kids sit down, they pick one of those movies because it's like all the old Disney movies that we still have on VHS tapes and we're like slowly getting them on DVDs. But um, so they pick one of those, of course, and so we put it in and they sit on the couch and they're like, where's the movie? Why isn't it playing? And we're like, it has to rewind. And they're like, what is that? Like, why isn't it, where's the menu? Why isn't it playing? Like right now and they're like and it you know don't we do the same thing like we want stuff right now like where and it's almost less about the wait time because for us now if we're expecting like we're gonna watch a vhs tape because i know we all do that regularly um but we expect you might have to rewind it right so you can wait those few minutes for it to rewind but i think what catches us off guard more is that we weren't expecting it for those kids, they didn't understand the concept that a movie would have to rewind before you could play it forward. <laughs> and I think that's what so deeply disorients us, is simply that we are not expecting the wilderness. We're not expecting it. We think, I'm saved, I'm, I, sin has no power over me, so I should be good to go, right? Not going to sin anymore. We're not expecting this process, this slow process of renewing our minds and transforming and changing. And here's what happens when we're not expecting it. We get stuck. We get stuck in the wilderness. There was a whole generation of Israelites who got out of Egypt but couldn't get Egypt out of them because they didn't want to, really. They resisted this process. And so they spent 40 years wandering around in the desert, not getting into the promised land and not being transformed. We can be set free and we can live like we're not free. It happens all the time. And this is what Danielle Strickland says about it. She wrote a book called The Ultimate Exodus. It's kind of the um, inspiration for this message. So it's a good resource. I put it on the notes if you want to read it later. But she says, we can spend a whole lifetime wandering around in a wilderness, pathetically unhappy in our faith, questioning God and making up little places to settle. We can miss the incredibly deeper experience of emptying. So the devil wants us to get, the, get us to follow Jesus, but in a worldly way. Leave Egypt, yes, but bring all of Egypt's values and systems with you. Be a Christian, yes, but live like everyone else. The devil tries to keep us full of ourselves, and this is problematic because it's when we empty ourselves that God begins something new in us. See, once we're set free, once we've been saved, the devil has no concern about our eternal fate. That's set. But if he can get us to live like everyone else, to start to doubt you know, we hear these promises that God has, but we're not experiencing them. And we start to doubt, and that doubt turns into unbelief. And we harden our hearts, and we stop listening to God. We might not question that he exists, 
or that he's real, but maybe we question some of his promises. And we get warned about this in Hebrews 3. The writer is talking about and using this example of the Israelites in the wilderness. He says, so as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during that time of testing in the wilderness. Further on in the passage, says, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Or as the message puts that last line, they never got there because they never listened, never believed. I want to get to the promise. I don't know about you guys, but let's believe. Let's believe God, believe in those promises that he's given us. Let's expect the wilderness and expect this season and lean into the process of renewing our minds so that we can live like the people of God. And what does that renewing of our minds look like? It's really simple. It's not new. It's the same basic Christian living practices that we've heard about probably every week if you go to church often. You know, if we're trying to renew our minds, think new thoughts, then we have to take inventory of what's going into our minds, right? And so thinking about truth, it's reading the Bible, it's praying, it's meditating and memorizing his word, listening to podcasts, sermons, reading Christian books, listening to singing worship songs. It's putting truth in our mind more often than things of this world. And I am not saying you can't have to stop, like cancel your Netflix. I'm definitely, I love media. I love media more than probably I should. Um, But it's rewriting our pathways, right, in our mind that we need to constantly be reminding ourselves of the truth, listening to that, speaking it, and acting on that because he has set us free. And so let's live like people who are free. And when we start to walk down those new paths again and again, that's when we're going to start to see that abundant life that he promised. And that's when we're going to start to see those good plans that he has for us. And when we're going to start to experience that peace that transcends our understanding. And the more we experience this, the more it bolsters our faith, the more we start to believe God. And we start to believe those promises that he gave us. And that's when we start to invite other people into this journey, right? Because before when we're just like confused and we don't really actually believe those promises God has for us, we're not really inviting other people into this life because it doesn't seem that good to us. And so why would we want other people to experience that? But if we're living like the people of God free and in that process of being free, that's when we're going to invite other people to join us because it's so good. And so we'll wrap it up with this. We're just going to conclude that, remember, the Israelites were not alone on this journey. There were two million of them in this desert wandering around together. And there might not be two million people in this room this morning, but there are over two million believers on the earth today. And so wherever you go, here 
or to the ends of the earth, there's community and we're in this together. And Hebrews tells us to encourage one another along this journey. So if you're in this season, if you're feeling stuck, if you're starting to doubt, or maybe you've just kind of given up like, yep, this is the way it is. It's not that much greener on this side. Grab someone next to you, read his word together, pray together, and remind one another that God is faithful and that he fulfills his promises. Remind each other that you didn't take a wrong turn and that's how you ended up in the wilderness. This is normal. This is the process. So, yeah, remind each other that God is faithful. He's faithful to complete the work he started in you if we will lean into this process of renewing our minds. And part of that, and I mentioned, is declaring truth with our mouths, our own mouths, singing worship songs, declaring truth. And so we're going to continue in worship, and we're going to sing this song. We've been wanting to introduce it to you for a little while, and you'll know soon why uh, thematically it just fits perfect with this morning. So as we go back into worship, as we start this practice of renewing our minds together, um, when we sing, feel free to take whatever posture of worship is comfortable for you, standing, sitting, kneeling, raising your hands, um, whatever that is. But before we go back into that, I want to pray for us this morning. And yeah, then we'll continue renewing our minds. With all eyes closed in this place, we've been talking about being set free. But that first step is claiming that blood of Christ over our lives. That first step is being set free, is being saved. And if you're in this room this morning and you haven't accepted Jesus, and you want to do that today, you want to start on this journey I just want to invite you to make that decision. Jesus is real. He loves you. He died for you. He was risen to give you life and lead you into a life of freedom. So if you want to make that decision today and you haven't made that yet, I just want to ask you with eyes closed for you to just raise your hand. You can raise your hand and put it right back down. Raise your hand if you want to claim Jesus as your Savior. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So good. I just want to pray for you guys. Pray for all of us. God, I thank you for your sacrifice for Jesus being willing to die on my behalf, on our behalf. God, I pray for the people that raised their hand this morning. Thank you that they are claiming that you, Jesus, are Lord, that you died, that you were risen three days later, and that because of that death and resurrection, we are free and we are being set free. And so as we walk into this journey, into this wilderness, God, would you be with us as you say you will in this process of renewing our minds, of believing in your promises, 
God, for all of us, that we would walk together arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, believing you, not giving up so easily, not being deceived by sin. God, forge new pathways, new ways of thinking in our minds that we could live like the people you have called us to be. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.